spread the fire welcome back to smwx and in this two-part series i interview political analyst ukoko aubrey machiki in part one and part two we analyze all that's going on in south african politics right now believe me this is one of the littest conversations that has ever happened on smwx like share comment down below leave your thoughts on social media twitter tag me hashtag smwx and also do comment down below aye let's get started spread the fire welcome back to smwx and i've delivered again i've brought you south africa's premier political analyst ukoko obri machikli um Koko Aubrey Machikli has joined SMWX on a number of occasions for political analysis and it seems like the perfect time to delve into all that's happening in South Africa today. So for another conversation with Ukoko Aubrey Machikli, welcome to SMWX. Make sure you comment down below, like, share and subscribe and allow me to introduce Ukoko. Koko, uh, Togoza, thanks so much for joining us once again on SMWX. Togoza, Siswe, and Togoza, Gumaketa Matala, Nyindombe Indalo Ambanazo. We've greeted all who need to be greeted, and the only thing left to do is proceed with the conversation. And Koko, I received over 100 questions for you on social media from various people, but, but don't worry, I'm not going to ask you all 100 unless you have all day today. But they fall into. Oh, don't worry. Uh, I still have many. I still have many more years to live, and therefore <laughs> enough time to answer them. So, if I can't get to your exact question, all those people who left comments, apologies. But what I've done is I've put them into different categories, and many of them were similar. And the biggest category is ANC politics. Um, today, Secretary General of the ANC, Ace Mahashule, appeared and had his case postponed and moved to the Free State High Court in this uh, corruption asbestos scandal case. Could you tell us how you react to that and what the implications of this case will be on ANC politics? Well, if you don't mind, Kefra, can I take, take one or two steps back? Um, and then respond directly to this question. And, and, and the reason why I am taking one or two steps back is because we spend a lot of time talking about the ANC mm. and sometimes talking about the ANC as if change in this country is contingent exclusively only on what is going to happen inside the ANC mm. to the exclusion of other factors and, and, and forces that on their own or together with what is happening inside the ANC may bring about change for ill or good in this country. The, the question is about why it is we fought 
in a liberation struggle against apartheid colonialism. Mm. We did so to create a society that would be the antithesis in social, political, economic, cultural, gender, and other terms to the society against which as revolutionary forces were arranged, that is apartheid society. Hmm. So our, our first goal is to create a society that is the antithesis of this apartheid society. But that goal in itself cannot be our end. We, we, we create this society that is the antithesis of apartheid society in pursuit of a more important end. The creation of society that itself in qualitative terms will be the antithesis of this society that we have successfully created, which constitutes the antithesis of apartheid society. Now, if we think of what we need to achieve in this manner, then we should realize that this is an ongoing task and in all probability, an eternal task. And when we look at any political phenomenon, including what is going on outside the Mangawung Magistrates Courts today, this question and, and how we conceive of why we fought in a liberation struggle must always be at the back of our mind. Because when we listen to a State of the Nation address, we listen to the budget, we listen to political speeches, when we look at outcomes of elections, when we look at the fractional dynamic inside the ANC, and when we look at the Mahashula matter and other matters, the question we must ask is, how does this take us forward in relation to the creation of a society that in qualitative terms will be the antithesis to or of the society that we have successfully created, which is the antithesis to apartheid society. Now, obviously at the moment, it would be a bit of a stretch to argue that we have created completely or even successfully a society that is the antithesis to or of the apartheid society against which we fought. Now, what do I make of what is happening outside the Mangawu Magistrates Court today? It was interesting to observe what uh, some of the supporters of Isma Khashule were saying. Uh, one said, Isma Khashule is us and we are Isma Khashule. Another said, Jacob Zuma is us and we are Jacob Zuma, which to me highlights what I said this morning in a tweet. And what I said in the, in the tweet is that the state of our politics, 
bears testimony to the fact that the human mind will not know peace until it has found something or someone to worship. And this is one of the things that ill our political discourse. And this is one of the reasons we have political narratives that seldom go deep into what we should be talking about when you talk about the state of the nation. And therefore, when I look at what is happening outside the Mangawung Magistrates Court, I'm struck again by how the human mind is always looking for something or someone to worship. But I am not surprised because part of this happens because people live in the hope that either through a particular organization or through a particular person or group of people in an organization such as the ANC, their social, economic, and other conditions will be ameliorated. In other words, through this organization or through members of this organization or through a faction in this organization, their lived reality will be changed for the better. It's interesting you say that because in some ways, even though it's a different constituency in our society, President Ramaphosa also seems to be fulfilling this role of an object of worship, uh, a kind of demigod figure onto which people pin all kinds of hopes and expectations. And in some ways, it seems like both sides of the ANC are, are fulfilling this role of objects to be worshipped in different ways to different people. You are absolutely correct. Um, they perform another important function. A figure such as Cyril Ramaphosa, a figure such as Jacob Zuma, or is also a media through which individuals and groups of individuals, particular interests in society express their desires, their political preferences, and sometimes even their social, economic, and class preferences. But there's something more important that is happening if we limit ourselves to what is happening in the ANC. Mm. We, we, we must remember that the ANC is a story. It's part of our political mythology. The, the, one of the reasons why you have such ructions inside the ANC and the factional warfare that is going on inside the ANC is because we are not dealing with a single story. The ANC as a story has become many stories. And, and, and the stories are coming not only into competition with one another, but have come into conflict with one another. And, and, and to the extent that the ANC is a story and is part of 
our political mythology, a mythology that has produced leaders of mythical proportions, Oliver Tambo, Walter Sisulu, Nelson Mandela, Charlotte Makeke, Dorothy Nyembe, and others. To that extent, what we see is not only a party, but leaders at an individual and collective level in that party, the ANC, who in terms of the quality of leadership they are able to provide to the ANC and the nation, fall outside this political mythology because as mythical figures themselves, they are not of the same proportion as those, who, as those who led the ANC in the past, as I said, such as Nelson Mandela or Walter Sisulu or Charlotte uh, McClack, because they have deviated even at a mythical level, they have deviated from what these leaders were perceived to stand for and what they were perceived to be. But what we're seeing also represents a gap between the myth and the reality. Because the mythical ANC and the real ANC are not the same thing. And the gap is becoming wider by the day in the current context. And, and therefore, Kesha, that is another way in which we can look at what is happening in the ANC today. I want to focus on that because I think what you say there is is crucial about how many different stories there are and what seems to me to be happening in the ANC today is parallel narratives and parallel structures at an unprecedented level so that in the Free State, there are two ANCs. In the NEC, there, there are at least two ANCs. In Parliament, there are at least two ANCs. In the Eastern Cape, in Gauteng, in Limpopo, in Bumalanga, in Northwest. Whereas previously, there have been parallel narratives and parallel motives there has at least usually been one dominant center and a kind of marginal center. Whereas at the moment, we have two competing poles in different places, which ultimately undermine the overall legitimacy of any one of the ANCs in any of these places. And when I cast my eye towards 2022, and I look at all the conferences up to this point, which have been the subject of contested legitimacy, but the party has always able to, just by the skin of its teeth, create enough legitimacy to create an election. I wonder whether we're all worried about what the outcome of 2020, 20, uh, 2022 might be, but maybe the question is, will there even be a legitimate outcome? Because there's so much contestation within the structures that it's gonna be very hard to produce a legitimate conference and a legitimate outcome when there are so many parallel stories happening at the same time. What are your thoughts on that? Well, 
what, what you've said, Cizre, needs unpacking at so many uh, different levels. Um, the idea of parallel structures mm. and parallel political realities and parallel universes in the ANC is apt. And because they are parallel, there is an extent to which particular parallel political realities are invisible to the universe of those who are outside those parallel realities within the same party. Mm. And a particular realities, by the way, at times emerges other parallel realities which are contained within that particular reality. <laughs> and that is why, depending on what issues they are talking about and what issues the ANC is dealing with, mm. there is an element of fluidity within and between the parallel political realities to the extent uh, that you can see a process of alignment, realignment, and de-alignment. An element of floor crossing. Mm. An element of the lines between the parallel universe, universe appearing and disappearing, depending on what is being discussed. And that is one of the things that's going to inform what is going to happen not only in 2022, but in the lead up to the 2022 National Conference mm. of the ANC. To what extent are we going to see de-alignment, realignment? To what extent are we going to see the appearance and de disappearance of these lines? Uh, which constitute the dividing or the divide between the different political realities in the ANC that are parallel. So where the lines disappear, you will see an element of fluidity, an element of floor crossing, so, so to speak. Will that have a decisive impact Will that result in a decisive realignment of the balance of forces within the ANC? My answer is no. To the extent that the factional dynamics, irrespective of how the factional dynamic is, is configured, to the extent that it will continue to exist, that factional dynamic will remain the dominant reality and will be the dominant reality in 2022. The level of fluidity will determine the extent to which chaos will descend upon the ANC, thus compromising the center even further. Mm. In, in, in some ways to talk about the center is a misnomer 
because there is no center that holds the ANC together. Sorry. To the extent that there is a center, there are multiple centers Absolutely. that hold different and contending interests and, and individual uh, factions in the ANC mm. together. But there's a question that arises from what you are asking about 2022. Mm. Let's say the so-called radical economic transformation forces win the day mm. in 22. The question for me is, so what? Let's say those who exist to support Cyril Ramaphosa uh, win the day. The question is, so what? Let's say after the 2022 con conference, the ANC inexorably slides towards its demise. So what? And I say, so what? Going back to where I started, how will that contribute towards the creation of this society that in qualitative terms must be the antithesis of a society that is the antithesis of apartheid society. That is why I ask, so what? And I want to come to more of those questions because I think we don't ask them enough about the deeper, even systemic problems in our political system as a whole and where the society has been and is heading. But I'm also taken by this idea of, of multiple centers within the ANC, which really seems to capture exactly what's happening. And often it seems like people are asking the question, who is in control of the ANC? Is it Ramaphosa? Is it RET forces? And for me, the answer is no one. Neither Ramaphosa can exert con full control over the ANC nor the RET forces because of these fluid movements between these different factions. Sometimes, well, let me put it this way, every political action within the ANC will cause an equal and opposite political reaction within the ANC. So one minute Ramaphosa is able to gain a, a, a slim majority for one particular issue. All that does is create another majority for another particular issue. So we constantly have this no one being in control. Um, and I think President Zuma has um, seized upon this feature within the ANC to create a new level of complexity where he's bringing back the old center of power on top of all of these new and emerging centers of power to create even more ambiguity and uncertainty. And of course, I think this has been seen most recently with the various uh, trips to Nkandla and the various statements by former President Zuma on the State Capture Commission. So I was wondering how you, how you read what President Zuma has been doing in light of your overall analysis of these multiple centers of power within the ANC? Well, I will take another step or two back mm. and, and say my so what question relates to something else. Mm. It relates to the dominant reality in South Africa 
that South Africa belongs to those who conquered it. It is not our reality that South Africa belongs to those who live in it. Our reality is that South Africa belongs to those who conquered it. And that is one of the social, political, gender, and other realities that must change about South Africa. And therefore, to what extent does what is happening in the ANC and what will happen in the ANC contribute towards re-engineering this reality or making sure that we cast it in the dustbin of history. The fact that South Africa belongs to those who conquered it. Second, when we ask the question, which of these factions is in control? You are right, we're asking the wrong question. We are asking the wrong question in many respects. Firstly, we are asking the wrong question because we assume that change in the ANC, let alone the country, change in the ANC is contingent on what members of the ANC do. We forget that some of the betrayal on the part of the ANC when it comes to changing the lived reality of those who are victims of apartheid colonialism is happening precisely because of forces that reside outside the ANC. And those forces are not disinterested in what is going on inside the ANC. And therefore they are an important consideration or should be when we analyze the fractional dynamic in the ANC because mm. they attach themselves to different factions in the ANC and different factions in the ANC attach themselves to them and therefore give a different color to the fractional dynamic inside the ruling part. Some of them have attached themselves to Cyril Ramaphosa. Some of them have, have attached themselves to the former president, Jacob Zuma. And, and how should we analyze Jacob Zuma today? And, and maybe even before I come to that, let me add another element just to complicate your life even, even, even <laughs> uh, more. Mm. You know, one thing about the past that we tend to forget is that the past cannot speak for itself. And secondly, the fact that the past is more unpredictable than the present. And those who recognize this, either intuitively or otherwise, knowing that the past cannot speak itself and knowing how unpredictable it is, they will make the past say things in the present that the past never said 
that the past is not saying at the moment. And an element of a fractional dynamic is how you see reinterpretations of our struggle heritage and the ANC's own heritage and how there is an, an attempt to impose those reinterpreted interpretations of the past and the ANC's struggle heritage and its own heritage in pursuit of very narrow ends. And we do so also, or those who are protagonists in this fractional dynamic do so also in pursuit of another thing. They know that a selective invocation of the past can be weaponized against fractional foes in internal ANC battles. And when I look at the protagonists in the ANC fractional dynamic, all of them, to the men, to the women, have to some extent tried to selectively invoke the past as a weapon against their fractional foes. Now, at the moment, we are talking about Jacob Zuma in very specific terms, a man who has defied the highest court of the, in the land, the constitutional court, mm. a man who is engaged in a twist with the Zondo Commission, a man who argues that not only Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo and his commission, but also the Constitutional Court and the judiciary in general are part of a political conspiracy to destroy him. Now, at some point, it must be his patriotic duty to adduce evidence to that point, I mean, to that effect. The alternative for him is to open himself to the accusation that he invokes the allegation against the judiciary as part of a political agenda to escape accountability. That said, I am not so naive as to believe that absence of evidence always constitutes evidence of absence. What I am saying about President Jacob Zuma is that if we limit ourselves to the four corners of the statements he has made, the evidence in support of the allegations he is making against the judiciary is a bit on the thin side. And that is why I argue that there must come a point, and that point must be soon, when he, when he supports this allegation with evidence. But I also proceed from the attitude that the judiciary as an institution is independent. But I am not certain that the same can be said about every judge this side of heaven. 
but I must repeat that my own attitude notwithstanding, there is very little in the statements that have been made by Jacob Zuma against the judiciary that is supportive of my attitude. So it seems to me that until further notice, we must look at Jacob Zuma as a wily politician who understands that he's at a disadvantage in the legal terrain. And there is therefore the need for him to relocate this battle to a terrain where he is more adept and that is the political terrain. And when you look at the high tea he had with uh, uh, Julius Malema, there are many ways in which you can interpret that because we're not in the room with Julius Malema and the former president. But one of the assumptions you can make is that the former president seeks to expand his network of political support beyond the factions which support him in the ANC and beyond the ANC itself to include the commander in chief of the EFF and EFF supporters. And this, if I am correct, he is doing because he's aware of something else that the leadership ambitions of the commander in chief of the EFF are as hidden as the, as the scrotum of a goat in heat. <laughs> Here I'm talking about my suspicion that the commander in chief <laughs> has presidential ambitions. Hmm. And the question is, does he care how he gets to the union buildings, whether it is through the EFF, uh, through the ANC configured in one way or another, Hmm. through or by some other means that he achieves this goal. And, and the problem with my analysis at this point, and as it happens almost always, is that we are seldom in the room hmm. when these political actors are discussing these matters. And, and therefore what we are exposed to is the difficulty that comes in political communication because political communi communication has, amongst other things, two dimensions. The first dimension is the public dimension. The things we see and we hear politicians saying, which may or may not be related to political reality. But it also has a private or hidden dimension. And to the extent that when politicians engage and they engage in battle. They do so in pursuit of both the noble and ignoble. To the extent that we are dealing with the ignoble in their motives, the ignoble will be part of the hidden dimension of political communication. Thanks so much for watching this conversation. Thanks for watching part one. Part two of this conversation will come out on Monday, so we look forward to you watching part two as well. Spread the fire and stay locked on SMWX. Aye.